Hello and welcome to Death of a Thousand Cuts, making you an awesome writer one cut at a time. My name's Tim Clare and this is a show about writing for writers, for readers and for anyone with a morbid fascination with how the story sausage is made. On this show we have three central planks to our writing manifesto. Plank the first to help you write more, plank the second to help you write better and plank dry to help you be a little happier as you do those things. On this episode, I am chatting to author and friend of the show, Nate Crowley. Uh, basically, I wanted to get him on to look at some... I've been For a while, I wanted to, to, to do some more episodes where I, I look at listeners' first pages. These are first 250 words of work that you've sent in. Not you personally, but it might be you personally, I don't know. Um, and that we uh, look at and give feedback on. Generally, those have been done by me alone, but on several episodes, I've got various writers in to to do the uh, do do the uh, feedback with me. So that's been people like Joe Dunthorne and uh, Nikesh Shuckler and um, kind of really, really good time doing those with other people i quite like it i like having another voice in there sometimes they disagree with me sometimes uh, we are of a mind sometimes they just point out stuff that i wouldn't have thought of but it's lovely to have another perspective in and i just like having a conversation but also getting to do those first page episodes that so many of you i know really enjoy so uh I, yeah, I, uh, I I wanted to get someone involved. And because I, I think one of the most, certainly the most listened to interview of all time um, on this show and one of the most listened to episodes of all time is my first chat with Nate Crowley way back when he popped around my house. And uh, it was a really fun chat. It was one of the first interviews I'd done. I remember it because a uh, old McDonald had a farm toys started playing was light activated during our chat and we ended up talking about weird creatures that could sense that had vestigial eyes in their heads it was just great like every time i talked to him we'd go down multiple rabbit holes and this time was no different so i'm i'm getting him in and we're going to record multiple episodes basically looking through some listeners first pages and discussing what we uh, think about them together uh, he's, uh, I, I think, uh, by by temperament, um, uh, uh, much. Uh, uh, well, look, I am a nice person and I love people, but I think, you know, he, he he's sort of a particularly um, a kind person who um, didn't want to, you know, weigh in to, didn't want to come across as mean by uh, criticising uh, listeners work but i uh, i gave him the talk i said look this is what people are here to to, to hear um and so he, he's done his very uh, very best um nonetheless still um a nice little uh, good cop bad cop uh, dynamic that we had going but before we got down to that we just ended up having a chat and because i haven't chatted to him in ages we, we talked about his work his books um so this first episode that we've recorded together is a little bit of a chat about how he's getting on and um just about writing in general and things like uh we talk about you know the classics and working with other people's characters and then we go into uh, somebody's first page so i hope you'll sort of enjoy this kind of hybrid episode and then 
I'm going to release a series of mini-sodes uh, that's going to uh, have sort of further pages that we uh, look at and uh, discuss together. So I ho hope you'll enjoy that going forward, as they say in corporate land. Um, I'm really enjoying writing at the moment, by the way, in case you're interested, working on a new non-fiction book. I haven't pitched it yet, so uh, whether it will be picked up by anyone, I don't know. But uh, it's I, I'm just absolutely immersed in it at the moment and I'm having a nice time doing it you know I talk a lot on the show about oh I'm having a difficult time how to write when you want to peel your face off I'm having a lovely time researching and writing it at the moment I feel very happy I feel very lucky to be doing this I was going to say as my job but if I don't get paid for it then it won't have been for my job uh, but I'm just yeah having a great time doing it and I feel very immersed in it very pleased very happy and i've got a new book coming out next year so that's all good i hope you're super well if you enjoy the show and you'd like to support it um then we have no funding except the wonderful generosity of listeners so you can go onto uh, my coffee page that's ko-fi.com forward slash tim claire and drop me a few beans that lets me keep the lights on covers hosting costs uh and my keeping my website online and just you know, the time it takes me to record this uh, thank you so much to everyone who supports the show because that's why i get to do this basically is because of just the ridiculous generosity of people who listen thank you um and if you'd like to uh, submit something to the episode up uh, to the episode well to, to future episodes where i look at people's first pages you can go onto my website timclairpoet.co.uk forward slash well, there's no forward slash, actually, because you just click on the contact me link and you can drop me. I just want 250 words of the first page of your novel or story as polished as you can make them and a title and your first name. I don't need any preamble. I don't need a synopsis, anything like that. Just make it as good as you can absolutely make it. Um, and make sure you've listened to episodes where uh, I critique stuff so you have an idea of what you're letting yourself in for um, the main thing is we're never ever ever critiquing the person behind the work we're just looking at something that they made at one moment in time we're not even critiquing you as a writer with that's not what it's about that's not something you can determine from a piece of work and it's not a really useful thing to diagnose like how well does this person fit the writer identity? It's not a referendum on your right to exist. It's not your refer a referendum on your right to write. And it's not some kind of evaluation of like some prognosis about like how good your writing's going to be in the future. It's just we're just looking. We're just opening up the bonnet of the car or the hood if you're in America. And, and, and we're just like fiddling about with the engine and seeing what might we might be able to tune up that's all it is it's nothing ever personal and if we love it and it's amazing the flip side of this is that isn't personal as well it's just a re reference on the work and at some point you're going to have to roll your sleeves up and start on the next thing so we just try not we try to practice a healthy unattachment to the work we do we're not saying that you won't have emotions and feelings about it of course you will that's not the point but it's just to say you know like the joy of it is in the doing and in the craft in the making it better and in the kind of great game of doing it great game in the in the sort of like lowercase sense of it, it's a great game not great game uppercase sense in the sort of like colonial scramble uh, 
for Africa and India and fight between the great colonial powers that's a horrible thing and i'm and i don't think writing is anything to do with those things i am getting off the point my dear dear noble friend i hope you are well and happy i should just say um i i'm not a great sound engineer and occasionally um i, I do mess things up um on this episode i, I only realized sort of late on that i'd had my microphone switched off so the sounds a little bit wonky for these first couple of episodes i am going to sort that out later and split the sound channels and it's going to be back to the crystal clear sounds that you enjoy and nay demand as your birthright um but uh, please forgive me for that and um, I hope that it doesn't impact your enjoyment of uh, my chat and then editing sesh with Nate Crowley. Enjoy. I forgot that in Italian fairy tales, the like extra convention is that at the ending, the narrator always like, either adds themselves or the listener into the story so like they'll go and they all had a big feast and i was there under the table eating the crusts or like or like and they had a big feast and if you hurry you might just get there in time for dessert you're like and and, and it's like such a weird convention that is eaten every single one without and i finished one of the, the stories and i and i end and it ended with that like saying and if you hurry you may just get there for the wedding feast. And Suki went, what? <laughs> I was like, I, she, she was like, but will I? And I was like, no, it's a weird story. That was, that was, a, that was a bit, that kind of took you out of the story a bit, didn't it? Like, she was like, yeah, because you said it was like in another country and it's bedtime. And why are you saying that to me? <laughs> I, I, I love that the only um, narrative material I can think that fits that pattern that I'm familiar with is uh, the campaign narration in uh, Age of Empires 2. I I can't remember. I have played that, but I can't remember. <laughs> oh, I guess because you're the player, right? <laughs> and there's always like um, a, an old guy that says, oh, we are rotting in this prison cell, but once I was a mighty duke. <laughs> and then, like, he'll be like, and now, my comrades are coming to break me out. We'll fight as comrades. And then the last mission will be you and this guy. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realise it was an Italian fairy tale. <laughs> oh, amazing. Amazing. That's like a level of intertextuality that I just miss, but it's there. That like, that, that, this is what, this is what, ludology is all about is uh <laughs> oh, amazing well that's great because i'm writing um a feature about those campaigns next week and i'm just gonna make it all about italian fairy tales <laughs> <laughs> right so I- i'll just do a um I- I- i'll just do uh you know what actually rather than being weird and sort of um me doing a little intro every time um, which will make us both feel awkward. I'll just record those afterwards because then I can I can talk and introduce each one, and, and and we can just we'll just go through these, and um, and and yeah 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 yeah, and then I'll cut it up later. But um, yeah um, so I'm here with uh, uh Nate Crowley um, 
friend of the show and author of, amongst many other things, uh, Notes from Small Planets. Um, I, I just want to, like, before we get into talking about these things, I just want to check in with you, like, how you doing? How's your writing going? What have you had out since we last, since you were last on the show? Be nice to be able to sort of, like, plug some of your stuff. Yeah, wow. Um, I was going to say, it feels like a very long time since I've been on, and it has as well, but there's been the added time dilation of the last two years feeling like six. Um, so I have had Notes of Small Planets out, which is a, um, a sort of fantasy lonely planet, if you like. Um, I created uh, a bunch of destinations which are fancy worlds of my own devising all of which are pretty pointed satires on um sub genres of, of sff um so it's quite uh it, it it you know it's all good fun uh but it, it's it's also quite an aggressive post-colonial satire uh and uh voyager did a brilliant job with the graphic design so it looks like a, a lonely planet job there's even maps so that was fun um, been doing loads of stuff with um, with Warhammer. Uh, I just wrote the biography of Gasgul Thraka, the hardest orc ever to live, um, which is actually quite a whimsical book with very few fights and a lot of ruminating on uh, on male depression. Uh, so yeah, that's which is not which is not how I, I, I when I think about his um his lore and his character um how i would have how i would have imagined it going except if you were writing it and then i'm kind of like yeah that's kind of like something i, I i'd want to read so um can you do, is there who's the is it is there a narrator is it first person narration am i remembering that right uh sort of yeah so uh for those of you uh, who are in the potentially fortunate position of not knowing much about warhammer um Gaskell Thracker is a big orc. Uh, he has a little mate called Makari, who's like a goblin, who holds his banner and waves it around. Uh, and this was the model that was sold with the Gaskell model in 1993 and has appeared in various incarnations since. So I've had it, the story is told by this, this little grot, Makari, who's being interrogated um, because his interrogators think he'll know all these military secrets about Gaskell. Um, and he just tells a very long and odd story. But uh, yeah, I, I love doing things like that with someone else's IP because you take this sort of big, brash, larger-than-life setting and do odd things in it. Like I told a love story about two robots with dementia, um, which was nice, called Severed. Uh, that was a novella I had out a couple of years back. And then I've got one about more sad robots actually coming out in September called The Twice Dead King. So yeah, um, I, 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 my intention with all of these is to write them as interesting science fiction stories uh, about people with very operatic emotions first and as Warhammer books second. Um, my acid test is always Ashley, my, my wife uh, reads them and if she enjoys them, knowing nothing about Warhammer, in the blessed position she is, then I know I've done a good job. So I would recommend them if you enjoy my writing uh, but don't know a thing or two about um, big space cathedrals and stuff. 
I feel like I feel like uh, Makari just feels a bit like uh, the way that you've written sort of is a kind of very kind of surreal uh, like Mameluke Ali the uh, the uh, uh, Napoleon's sort of um, uh, manservant uh, like that kind of relationship with a sort of like semi mythical figure um i i kind of that's that that's what it kind of made me think of yeah well it's uh i had an interesting chat with my editor actually about it when we were planning because when you're you know when you're writing about these characters who have been banged on about for 25 years and they are like godlike you can't approach them too directly even when you're writing a book about them it has to be from like a worm's eye view so there's still this towering figure doing impossible feats and occasionally occasionally deigning to offer a line of dialogue to the reader so yeah it's um he's fun he's 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 the most revolting and and possibly likable character i've done in a while of makari entirely entirely composed malice do you think like I I, do you, like, I am well this is a this is a very yes no question so there are there's more nuance available um if you want to try but I, I just I wonder like we we have the kind of Greek pantheon and the kind of classical references and that's been traditionally kind of like a um if you can write a kind of retelling of a kind of classic tale that's that's that, that's very literary and it's a show sign of good breeding and all that kind of thing and especially in Britain kind of knowledge of the classics has been sort of intimately related to having studied like Greek and Latin at school and having been through a certain education system and stuff do you think like as time goes on and like a whole generation uh, like grows up knowing you know Mr Driller from Dig Dug and um like uh, yeah, Gasgol, uh, Thracker, and 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 just and 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 the Street Fighter characters. You know, know who Blanker is. Do you think we might see sort of like this? I just wonder whether you think there's like scope there, like various treatments and reimagining and explorations of characters that aren't just like, hmm. You know, I I, I wonder. I wonder, but I wonder what Odysseus would have made of this, you know, like, because because it, it feels to me like there's ways that we can do that, including you, that sometimes they're kind of like super serious, sometimes they're like lighthearted, and sometimes they're a mix. I, I hope so. I hope that's the case. I think that would that would be a fascinating way for culture to progress. Um, I mean, there are only so many archetypes, you might argue, and they are endlessly reincarnated uh, in more familiar forms. So in, in Warhammer 40,000, you have the Primarchs, for example, who are these legendary superhumans created by the emperor of mankind. And each of them uh, embodies a certain set of character traits. And you see, if you, know, if you are at all adjacent with Wargames Twitter, you will see endless memes about the Primarchs as different fruits or as, you know, as beat up old Toyotas. And it's fascinating because the, the threads are funny if you have any knowledge of them, because you know they have such pronounced, definite characters that you can look at a knackered old Toyota and be like, well, yes, that that really is uh, Roval Dawn. Yeah, that's, that's funny. <laughs> and, you know, a, a lot of these things are, are, are recycled anyway, right? I mean... Uh, obviously 40k uh, robs hugely uh, from from every source going 
uh, you know, when its its law was created in the 80s. And but it's funny talking about that. Gaskell um, paraphrases about uh, 18 verses of Genesis. Um, a good few stanzas of Milton. <laughs> Uh, yeah, when you say when you I sorry, it's just when you said um you know the law was created in the eighties and then Gaskell paraphrases ve- various verses from Genesis, it does sound like you're talking about Phil Collins. Like which I was gonna say that is like a bold direction to like Gaskell standing out in front of the battlefield and and, and, and sniffing the air and saying he can feel it coming in the air tonight. Uh, I do actually, there is a, a running joke I have for myself of including lyrics from stuff I'm listening to in the book. <laughs> uh, Gaskell does, well, no, Macari paraphrases Taylor Swift at one point. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I love hiding things. That's, that's, re- that's really cool. I, I think you're right there. Like, just, we love, that. that actually there's only ever so many, like, different versions of, of, uh, of of characters that we can see and it's and it is kind of lovely seeing them but like at the same time people coming to when a kind of you know like, like basically i wanted you to in a way i wanted you to say yes tim i think that is the future and i'd be like oh great i can do inuyasha fan fiction and um and, and say actually this is dead literary um no I, I think it's i think it's really fun and i think it's exciting and and in a way, I actually don't want to be too, didn't want to seem like I was being too sneery of like Greek classical references, because I think they can be really cool as well. And often people are talking about them because the stories are genuinely really cool still. Like like they're, they're not, it's, yeah, I, th- I think that's really awesome. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the other thing to remember is a lot of the classical literature we have uh, is only so rarefied and canonical because it's what survived you know, I mean, I hate to say it, the Iliad was the Warhammer 40,000 of its time, and there's a hot take if you want. You, you do not hate to say that at all. You, lo- you love to say that. It's my favourite thing that anyone has ever said. In many, in many ways. And I, I, <laughs> that is, that, I, I, be proud of it and own it. That is <laughs> wicked. <laughs> I... I I, 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 I think it, I think it absolutely was and I, I would have been and, and like I don't know I remember absorbing a combination of law and stats just like just inhaling it and 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 for the first time you know like 40k and Warhammer books were also one of the only places the first place that I intri- was introduced to the concept of like flavor text and that you might have a scene there was you know you i I read a lot of what we think of as like being flash fiction but like is a scene you know like within a codex or whatever there's just a hundred words evoking something that i look back at them and they're frigging cool now and i'm just like oh you wouldn't get that elsewhere but it's a, a you know book these kind of books are places where you can have two kind of like inquisitors you know, discussing what's going to the the person that's in the cell that they're about to kind of like go back and work on, who's, um you know, some kind of um, thrall of cinch or whatever. And and you just get these little moments of human beings in the massive cogs of these kind of like arcane machines that have been grinding on endlessly. And it 
I don't know. Like, I just kind of think that I don't get a lot of that now. You know, I don't get exposed to just kind of like a hint of a world. I, I miss it, you know. I miss it a lot. I love little um, moments of the mundane uh, in amidst sort of impossibly baroque things. Like, it's very, very funny because when I was young and reactionary, I really railed against highbrow literature and, and, and realism, I suppose. And I just wanted really out there uh, genre stuff. And it's very funny now as I'm getting older, I realise what I'm basing, basically uh, doing a lot of in my work is taking the most ridiculously operatic settings and making very mundane things happen within them. And I love that, you know, people surrounded by sort of city-sized airships crashing into the earth and they're being being sad that they weren't better brothers when they were young. You know, <laughs> doing stuff that might happen in a Martin Amis book, but, you know, with a cathedral with robot legs, uh, strafing them with a minigun. Um, you know, it's, just, it's a good combo. Two great tastes that go well together. Yeah, and I think maybe it helps us reclaim some of these things. I feel like sometimes with at this hey like i'm i'm gonna you've kind of like opened with a kind of hot take so i'm gonna like now do my kind of like um the belgian reply if that's a chess thing i don't know it is um but like my hot take would be that i, I feel like you know with like advertising and commercialism has so kind of abraded our ability to um engage with some very kind of like basic kind of emotional responses without feeling a reflexive defense that someone might be trying to flog us something through it that um sometimes you have to go through a few kind of like arcane kind of like um maneuvers uh to to defamiliarize some of these kind of like primal scenes like regret and disappointment and you know like family soap opera stuff um so we give ourselves permission to feel them again um and not feel embarrassed and i kind of think that that yeah like you say it's kind of like these two flavors it's these two odd tastes that haven't sat together before but when they do that sense of newness allows us to see something that maybe we think we know with new eyes and we get to re-experience it i think that process of defamiliarization is what all good fiction or successful fiction is about it's like going, oh yeah oh yeah that that's right that's it i agree with every word you've said there that is something i've thought very often over the last couple of years um i thought of it as something uh a little like a therapist's office um it's deliberate neutral ground where you are made to feel comfortable and safe and not judged um and i do beg your pardon i have a delivery i have to go and get go and go and grab it no worries So it's 200 quid's worth of uh, Brazilian ferns. <laughs> I, I totally believe you. That's just so wonderfully specific. Where was I? Uh, yeah, so hang on, I'll just take a gulp of refreshing Fanta. I've just realised with the webcam, 
you probably saw me emerging from Garfield. Yeah, are you just walked out of Garfield's um sort of um uh, abdomen? In 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 many ways, um, sort of like more grimdark than anything the 40k universe has um conjured up. It 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 really really was kind of like looking into the staring into the mysteries of the warp for too long. Just a homunculus budding from Garfield's torso. <laughs> Right, so yeah, I was saying, yeah, I've been thinking it's a little like going into a a therapist's office, which is a neutral, uh, very comfortable no man's land where you are made to feel in a separate place from your worries and relaxed so that you can talk about them and they can be dissected. Um, You know, it puts you at ease. And I think in a way... um, very bombastic genre fiction does that for me because that is a place I am comfortable in. I suppose it's quite odd that my happy place and my sort of sanctum of relaxation is, you know, wars of impossible scale in in futures of unimaginable bleakness. But there it is, you know, it's a nostalgic, whimsical, comfortable place for me. And um, yeah, it puts me in a place where I, I suddenly feel uh, off my guard and unable to talk about, you know, very, very sensitive personal things, just abstracted massively and coming out of the, the, the mouths of nine foot tall green war machines. I wonder, but and also, I guess, like, it, lest we lose sight of this, I feel like the other thing I always want to then sort of like step in to say is, but not to lose sight of the fact that it's it's also kind of cool and fun. Like I sometimes worry that I'm I'm like saying all those things and then part of me is doing it out of a, a feeling of barely hidden shame that like, well, it has to be emotionally meaningful because if I was mere, were merely having fun, that would be frivolous and bad. And, 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 and all of the stuff you're saying about the kind of emotional resonance is true. But it's also kind of cool as well and interesting and zappy and, oh, wow, this is like interesting and it's doing stuff that I wouldn't normally see. And it's not just kind of like, you know, do you know what I mean? Like, I I always feel like I want to point that out as well, that also robots are cool. There was a scene I wrote in Surford where the main character is, you know, he's basically been someone's bodyguard and their, their carer, really, for about 60 million years. And they're wondering whether, you know, they have... They have made some pretty weird, disastrous decisions and their bodyguard is standing there thinking, well, you know, do I do I stick with them or not? And just casually, the backdrop to this is about 80,000 um, immortal, like mindless robots firing gauss beams across a chasm underground at about another 80,000 uh you know robots that are against them of the same make and they've been having this war of attrition every time they're destroyed they're teleported back and march back to the front again uh, they've been doing this for about six weeks and at this point the temperature in the chasm uh is is such that the rock is beginning to melt uh because of the sheer waste heat from the discharge of the beams so he's in this sort of you know molten song of robots uh just, you know, thinking about whether to stick with his partner or not. And yeah, I mean, you could say there's, there's, 
you know, a nice visual metaphor there with the accumulated heat beginning to melt even the rocks. Uh, you know, can anything last forever? But also, it's 160,000 robots having a fight that can't stop. <laughs> and that's cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love, yeah, I lo- yeah, I think like science fiction and fantasy, as opposed to um, uh, magic realism, is like the thing is a metaphor, but it is also the thing. Like in in science fiction and fantasy, in in in, in magic re- or realism, like a dragon might fly out of the sky, and and that is is a uh, a, a metaphor for um, uh, like civil war. Um, if it, if that happened in magical realism, that's what it would be, and then it would sort of disappear and not be me- mentioned again. In fantasy, it's a metaphor for civil war, but it's it's like it's also a it's also a massive dragon. The, the, the like you ha- the characters have to deal with yeah yeah and it's angry about a religion you know <laughs> That's, you know you've got all sorts of implications and consequences because it is a real thing yes right so um sh- i think we uh, we have warmed up sufficiently that we can maybe get into our first uh, uh listener submission um so yeah, so I'll, I'll just um, read through this and then we can go in and um, share our thoughts. So this is called Call of the Dusk and it was submitted by Michael. My lungs feel as if they're being slowly clamped shut. I'm staring down at the floor, which is a, a hexagonal metal grate. The bars of the grate are slick with blood, some of which is falling from my nose. I try to lift my head, but I can't find the strength. I fall to my knees. With my head closer to the ground, I make out shapes in the darkness below me, angular and strange. A fresh slick of blood drops from my nose and falls through the grate into the darkness below. My head lolls and I struggle to focus. I see sheet metal walls decorated with swirling symbols that seem both familiar and unfamiliar. The fading glow globe in the ceiling shines down on the twisted metal table next to me, the bare mattress in the corner of the room and the boots of the monster towering over me. She's talking, but I can't understand what she's saying. All I can see are her boots. They're black leather, tough and scuffed. They've seen years of hard labour. They're spattered with blood. My heart has stopped. I don't feel much pain. There should be more pain. In the distance, but growing closer every moment, I can hear a chant. Voices sing short syllables in rising and falling patterns. The chant changes as it grows louder, moving into longer, more sonorous sounds. Okay, so that's the extract. Um, what were, what were your sort of initial thoughts on this? Uh, I would keep reading that. I think that's pretty good. Things have stuck out for me. I really like the burying of the lead there. So the boots, the monster towering over me, I did not see that coming. Uh, I thought that was really professionally dropped in. Um, I thought there was some, uh, there was, it's really syntactical things that could be tightened up, like the bars of the greatest liquid blood, some of which is falling from my nose. So you establish that the, the blood is on the bars and then some of it's falling from your nose, which just causes your brain to flip for an instance, because the blood is simultaneously on the grate and falling from the nose. Uh, really easy to tidy that up. You'd say, you know, the bars, 
of the greatest liquid blood, um, you know, and then maybe you see a fresh gout and realize it is falling from your nose, that that's the origin point rather than, yeah, it's it's very simple. I, I wonder whether like the, the pro- issue with I've got with that bit of syntax is is the primacy recency effect right that we that the, the often um the sort of uh, the emphasis the stress of a sentence will be on what word the sentence ends on and there's i think there's something like for me accidentally comical about like going the bars of the great are slick with blood some of, and then right so that's the bars of the great are slick with blood that's like a you know a gothic kind of like grimy gritty thing and it's comma and then there's this qualifying clause afterwards some of which is falling from my nose i just think nose is like a like a inherently funny noun and and yeah yeah exactly and it's like and it's like it, and, and, and like to be clear not all of the blood is from this the narrator's nose just some of which is is falling from my is falling from my nose and it's like I, i'm not even the blood i you know it's like if it's dripping or oozing or anything like that but it's just kind of makes it sound like a kind of like a bogey and i i just and it's like it's specific but not in a way that really adds to the atmosphere the bars of the great are slick with blood S- some of which is falling from my like i just it was just like an odd it took me away and it also it's and, and and it's weirdly affectless as well to just simply ob- and you can do that what you can do that well but i just wondered it's again like i'm staring down at the floor which is a hexagonal metal grate it, it's like this narrator the the first clause of each of those sentences is like deeply grim i'm staring down at the floor the bars of the grate are slick with blood and then each one has this like picks up this sort of small detail which seems almost kind of like oddly kind of specific and fixated which is a hexagonal metal grate approximately it's the hexagonal isn't it and i was thinking about that because you can like you have you ever had a thing where you're in a really stressful or traumatic or urgent situation and because of our weird primate wiring despite all of the incredibly important things going on, you focus on like a moth that is on a radiator six feet away. Yeah. And, you know, when you look back on the event, you remember the bloody moth um, and it can be done. You could, you know, if you, if this wasn't the beginning of something, you could add a really nice touch of verity there by saying, you know, in all of this blood and, and whatever, for some reason, you know, I wonder why it's a hexagonal grate. They're harder to make than square ones. You know, if you were going for that slightly wry observational tone, but in any other circumstance, yeah, I probably wouldn't mention the shape well, of the grate. I, ge- I guess my question is, if the floor is a hex- hexagon, doesn't that make the room a hexagon? Like if the floor is a hexagonal, is the whole floor a, a grate? Or because if the floor is a hexagonal metal grate, I would argue that the entire room is therefore a hexagon, right? Which means this is probably some kind of bee people situation. Which I would, uh, I, if it's a, a, a beeple 
um, story. That's wicked. But but then but then I wouldn't say that the floor was a hexagon. I would say, like, you know, like I'm in a hexagonal chamber. That doesn't seem funny or weird to me. The, look, if it said I'm st- like if it said I'm in a hexagonal chamber, the floor is a metal grate. That's kind of like scary. But like at the moment, I'm actually not sure. It's, I think it might even just be the witches. Like, I don't know. Basically, sometimes it's weird. By putting in details, you make the picture less clear mm. because you make these anchor points that the mind springs out from, asking these little nano questions subconsciously uh, and stopping you concentrating on what's really important here. Uh, I would... Um, I would challenge Michael to rewrite that first paragraph as a sentence, uh, maybe two. You know, not long ones either. Like, there's yeah, there's good stuff in there. But you can get it across, I think, with less detail. The shapes in the dark are really cool. Let's get. Yeah, I mean, so so with my head closer to the ground. So I lift, try to lift my head, but I can't find the strength. I fall to my knees. With my head closer to the ground, I make out shapes in the darkness below me angular and strange i would right so i would always whenever i see myself use the adjective strange i always that always has like a target painted up on me uh, on it for me because i'm like are you what is strange what work is strange doing here or do you need to just give us a detail that is strange like if you say i can make shapes out in the dark that's below me angular and give me something else then i will make the conclusion that sounds strange don't just tell me they're strange tell me why they're strange like uh you know the fact that they're angular is already strange but i I do think like the rhythm of it asks for a second adjective angular and something angular and we're talking angular like like robots uh like weird sentient geometry uh like horrible gangly things with unusual limbs like exactly like if it said yeah so much could be happening so if it was like with my head close to the ground make out straight shapes in the darkness below me angular and um you know uh, uh, uh bristling with 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 fiddling ganglia then i'd go okay that's one thing if it was like um ang uh um angular and precise that would be another thing where I'd be like, oh, yeah, maybe these are kind of automata, automata or something like that. So, yeah, I just I, I want something more specific than strange. Um, I'm not sure that um, uh, it says a fresh slick of blood drops from my nose. I feel like a slick is when it's puddled on the ground. And I don't think you need to say fresh either. Um, I just I guess I wanted a tiny bit more affect from this character, even if they are strangely detached. Um I want, you know, if they're just, I, you know, if you're, if they're just watching with kind of like eerie detachment, blood drip from their nose and ooze down the grate in, into the dark blood, that's a cool moment, right? Because they're dying in this, and that's really interesting. It starts with the business about the lungs, their heart stops. Uh, I wonder if that, I wonder if you could either make more of that. Or deliberately hang a lampshade on how little you are making of it on that point of detachment because if your heart stops that is by definition a huge deal um and it then says you know it's totally valid it says i don't feel much pain there should be 
more pain and that's a sort of a yes a weird very emotionally muted confusion uh but i feel you know that's such a big thing the fact the character is you know dead uh you can have a bit more fun with that moment i think you're right i think like opening with you know a line that you know with the kind of flavor of like um you know death feels much less dramatic than I thought it would or something like that. You know, like the, the character like reflecting death is nothing like I expected it to be. Or, you know, death is uh, much less, death is much more interesting than I really, or I don't know, like something that, that foregrounds that, the lack of affect, like saying. To bring back um, the one of the first comments I made, like if I was, if this was my first draft and I was rewriting it, the thought I would be having now, and this is not instructional, this is, you know, this is just to illustrate my thought process, um, would be to start with uh, saying, you know, as you say, like, um, you would think death would be a huge deal, uh, but when my heart stops, uh, it takes me a moment to notice because I'm wondering why the great below me is hexagonal. Yeah, yeah. Then it's that thing about that gives the detachment. You get to have your hexagonal grades, and it, yeah, it it, it makes this it arresting, if you'll excuse the pun, initial statement uh, about death uh, being being kind of a non-event. Yeah, you're right. You're you're right because you can have a character. Yeah, and I think the the well the reason for for that trying to emphasise it is because you can have a character sort of be strangely sort of indifferent, but that's not intrinsically compelling, right? Normally we want characters to be super invested in some way, even if it's just in getting their their coffee order because they've got a meeting to get to. And so if you're going to have them being sort of weirdly detached, you've got a flag that you kind of, to the reader a little bit, that you kind of know that, you know? And, and so they trust you a bit. <laughs> You've got something interesting going on here, then, if, if you do something like that, because then this whole passage becomes about noticing things in the wrong order. Mm. Your priorities being weird, because, yeah, then we get two or maybe at this point three paragraphs in if we're doing this extra stuff at the top. And, and then, oh, you know, there's a monster towering over you speaking in a voice you can't understand. And so it's like, yeah, it, it, it's expanding out from the seemingly inconsequential detail to like the fact you're dead and there's weird shapes in the dark and there's a monster <laughs> it escalates that's that's raising the stakes that's really nice actually so you could almost start with the kind of the hearts the heart stopping and then you have this moment of like going oh but i'm kind of like preoccupied by this and then we have this like blood oozing down through the grate and maybe you know, like a, a little detail about a sort of screw that's in the grate, and then the we and then we almost the camera follows the blood down into this, into these these kind of like shadows moving below, and then we have the boots of the monster as the as we as we kind of pan. Up. I wondered about the word monster, like because either this character has encountered whatever this creature is before now, is there a word for them in this world? Like I just I just wondered like in what context would they use something as broad as monster? Um, I, I as well, and 
yeah, it's it's as if you, as you say, you'd expect there to be some context for her, uh, for the character, uh, the protagonist, to, to infer that it's a she and that it's a monster, because it very clearly states all I can see are her boots. You could say all I can see are some boots. There is something above me, and uh, that's actually less good. I, it's yeah, very arresting to say. And the boots of the monster towering over me. That's really cool. But as you say, how do you know it's a monster? How do you know it's a she? I suppose, yeah, I suppose I want something just to make it clear to me. Are you, is this character, is the narrator using the term monster in a kind of purely, are they just a moral monster? Because, you know, they're doing, you know, they're a prison guard who kills people. Or, you know, are they, or is it what I hope, which is a monster actual, um, in which case, I just want one or two, like, telling details, hints of some physical att- attribute that is monstrous. That's, like, just to give me... Yeah. I really love the um, the note that the boots have seen years of hard labour. That's... You're doing something really clever there, and you're giving this monster a little bit of internality already because you are in the smallest measure creating some empathy there yeah that's a good point it's knackered yeah 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 it doesn't seem like a um a triumphant uh, oppressor right like it seems like someone who is um like maybe one tier above in the system but by no by no means living the good life yeah i think that's a really really good point i i wondered um i i just wonder when there's a I, I just wonder whether like for all that we've kind of fixated on hexagon i think one of the reasons we've done that is because it's one of the few words in this entire piece that is very specific like we have we have symbols we have um chant we have syllables we have patterns we have monster we have labor like we have black leather boots and the hexagonal metal grate are two of the only things that really really drill down into like a concrete noun and maybe the bear mattress aside from that glow globe actually was like the another thing that kind of hints at a bit of world building i'm like okay so this definitely isn't in our world because there's a glow globe which i'm assuming is not just a tap light from ikea or something but like a specific thing that's only in this world um but i have a better name than that it it does feel like a little bit it's difficult though do you ever struggle with this where like you don't want to give something like a proprietary name that then needs like a a capital letter at the beginning and you feel like you're giving someone like a keyword or something Uh, oh i'm an absolute penis for this i would call it something you know i would look up the name of some like you know uh obscure mayan sun deity and then spell it wrong and call it that and you know leave the reader 200 pages to finally figure out i'm talking about a light it's a really bad habit i do um I think it's good, but it's a... But it does, but it, it, but it does at least serve as a light, uh, as a, as a, as a sign that you hang on the first page that says, 
here be SSF, um, SFF. Like, right? It's, it's like saying this is not just 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 heads up. This is like you're going to have to learn some things in this world. Um, I just feel like, yeah, glow globe. I don't know. Like, I, I, I do agree with you. I, I, I was a bit like, oh, come on. Like, come on. The globe. Be obscure my name and then I'd reveal offhand 150 pages in that it's actually a type of sedentary polychaete worm. Um, you know, but that's so ordinary to the people uh, experiencing the story that no one thought to mention that. Yeah, yeah, that's really important. And I think, like, also what I'd say is it's great on this third paragraph. My head lulls and I struggle to focus. I see sheet metal walls decorated with swelling symbols that seem both familiar and unfamiliar. The fading, right, I want to know, give me, I'd rather just have, like, a couple of specifics about what swirling symbols look like. Just try and give me, like, what that is, because otherwise it just seems like that just feels like a footnote for the art department to kind of like go what well, and it was like i'll oh, just put this in in post you can design this go wild um and and the other thing is i'm not sure whether the sheet metal walls are supposed to be is this in the room below or is this in the room above because they've been looking down through the grate and and then is it back up because then it's like they're seeing something that is presumably then at head height and then the fading glow globe in the ceiling. Well, I thought they couldn't lift their head. Their head was lolling. And now you're re you're referring to something directly above them. Um, and if that was true, you would have seen the monster beyond the boots. Exactly. Yeah, I just think that's a bit complicated. Also, I felt it was maybe a bit weird to have a have a, a mattress on the floor of a a room with a. I don't know why I had problems with the idea of a mattress being on a metal grate. But I was just like, that's an odd collocation. Design yeah, I don't know. A bare mattress. Also, like someone has had to lug like a whole mattress into the into this very gothic room full of like symbols and like some kind of torture table. And there's, you know, like cultists by the sound of it approaching. And then someone's like, like. Got, got online and gone to Mattress Man and kind of like gone, oh, and like, like pulled in like a sort of like slum landlord. They've tugged in like a, a an old mattress and chucked it on the floor. And it just felt, felt weirdly incongruous. It is regulations. They've got to have a mattress. <laughs> it kind of feels like this person's, you know, beyond the kind of in deep shit where you get given a mattress. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it seemed like weirdly considerate. Like we're gonna, we're gonna kick the shit out of you, um, but but the glow globe will 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 and a mattress. Yeah, I don't know. Like there's there's no there's no there's no there's no latrine in this room, but there is like yeah. I suppose you can pee through a floor if it's a grate onto whatever the shadows are below. But just felt odd to me. I don't know what I. It just it felt weirdly incongruous. Um, and I would, I would like, it says voices sing short syllables in rising and falling patterns. The chant changes as it grows louder, moving into longer, more sonorous sounds. I, I just, yes, that's describing things, but my head has got no way of putting those together into anything that I can reasonably hear. And I'd rather they... themselves to write the syllables. Yes, I, I, I agree. And I, I know that sounds silly, but I think it is at least specific um because otherwise i'm just 
Other, otherwise, it's like it's like both like oddly academic and yet imprecise in a way that I can't put that together. Well, it's I think it's actually a really powerful thing to do um, if you do it boldly enough. Think of the uh, the noise the tripod walkers make in War of the Worlds is unforgettable, even if you've only read it and haven't seen it, because Wells writes it out. And, you know, it's a nonsense sound, but it's written out and you don't forget that. Uh, so if, you know, it, it is probably nonsense what these people are chanting. It could be umna, 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 which is what I called elephants when I was two. Um, but, you know, your protagonist doesn't know that, and neither does your readers. So think of something and write it down, and then that will be in the reader's head. You have now yeah. transferred that to them, and that is super real. Uh, doesn't and, matter, it's nonsense. And, well, I think it, in, in actually what happens is over time, it takes on its own kind of like, there's almost like a uh, classical conditioning style thing where that nonsense syllable takes on its own horrible resonance like it did mean nothing and now we're like uh well later on maybe the uh they escape from this situation and they're hiding in a a, a a crack in a fortress wall and they think right time to take a breather and then just in italics and a new paragraph of its own umna umna it was coming again i was not safe you know yeah it that's suddenly semiotically dangerous this nonsense syllable yeah as long as it's not like a wooga like i think you couldn't get you can't you can't get away with something that like alludes to real world um uh, yeah as, as, as long as you're not like infringing on brand names or um yeah yolo or anything like that then i think you'll be i think you'll be i think you'll be good like it's I, I wonder what finally I just wonder what you thought of the of the title Call of the Dusk. Uh, I had forgotten it instantly. If I if, if, if I were uh, Call of the Dusk is like if I were a book, but I would actually wanted to um, spy on another book undercover by remaining completely sort of like um, nondescript and forgettable. I would call myself Call of the Dusk because it's just I, I feel like that is a hyper generic title. And I just wonder if Michael could uh, dig a bit deeper because um, I, I feel like it's not it's not terribly exciting. Yeah. Like if this was not the beginning of the story, if this was a short story, I would consider calling it great or something like that. Um, you know, if we were going with that sort of hierarchy, sort of weird inverted hierarchy of details theme. Um, yeah, obviously this is not the complete text. I understand that the title doesn't have to apply to this, but it's yeah, I, that was perfectly put. If if you wanted to be unobtrusive as a genre novel, you know, you could be called the Call of the Dusk, and you'd slide in next to your fellow agents, Rise of the Blood Lords, and, you know, Sorrow of the Dogman, and uh, and you'd be fine. Kin of the Night. The Princess of Sand and Sage. The... Yeah, Call of the Dusk is the, is, the, is the book that you would um, 
cut open and like hide the revolver in like because no no it would it would just it it could sit on the shelf for years with that title and everyone would accept that it was a real book no one would go oh, i wonder what call of the dusk is about crepuscular cr- cr- um crying out wow that sounds it's like it's not even call of the night it's call of the dusk it's just like well it's getting a bit late there's probably some midges out like it's like you know you got to walk the dog like like dusk is cool dusk is cool but uh i mean i'm I'm guessing this is like this feels like it's the beginning of an undead story uh i hope so yeah which you know i mean i've done that i've done a story with a man who starts the story dead it's great fun uh and you know my very first reaction was of course that i want to carry on reading this uh, because although the trees are a little wonky, I think the wood is great. Uh, <laughs> just need to, you know, maybe fell a few of the trees in the foreground. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I I don't go, well, there's no, well, there's no drama here. Like, I don't want to read it going, well, I don't know why you've started here. Like, this doesn't seem like a particularly, this character isn't in a predicament. <laughs> like, 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 you know, you, the situation is definitely like, oh, f- fuck, I don't know what's going on. Um... But I just suppose I want the character slightly, I guess what feels like it would thread answer like a lot of our questions is just for this character to like, like, I don't know if you've like ever like, like you talked, you alluded to it a bit when you're saying about how you fixate on hyperfixate on some detail. But it's like the same when you kind of like, if you break a bone, sometimes you're a bit like, what? you have like a moment of being a bit outside your body where you're going, God, I guess I'm a person who's broken a limb now this is weird and you kind of like observe it from inside and you're kind of like oh how odd and you you're just sort of like a li- it's a little bit surreal and you're a little bit in that ecstatic state of being outside yourself looking in and everything seems a bit unreal and there's a little bit of an odd objectivity and i i, I just wonder whether you know maybe a kind of like to sum up what we've suggested this could pull this out a little bit more where the character's a little bit like well I, I appear to be the subject. I don't mean in a kind of parody sense, but they're kind of like, I appear to be the centre of some kind of dark ritual. How that I, that I can't resist. Um, the, the, I guess I know what this is like from the inside now. Like it, it certainly is a very interesting perspective, point of view to be telling the, the ritual from, right? Well, yeah, because this, this place... To start, as you say, you know, it, you could not say this is a bad place to start the story. You know, if you were uh, making a, a physical diorama of the perfect version of this scene, it would look identical. There's no problems with any of the things in it physically. I think you just need to to rethink the the manner and the order and the tone with which it's being perceived. Like... You know, all the stuff you mentioned is cool. It's a great place to start. Uh, and yeah, as, as Tim says, maybe just think a bit more about, you know, really not just the perceptions of the character, but the, the cogitation going on on a secondary level because of those perceptions. You know, not just what they're seeing, what are they making of it? That's that's where it gets interesting. And that is a that's a super evergreen like thing about so many ways of writing is that kind of like point of view and the character having a a voice and a kind of opinion about what they're encountering um 
can just lift scenes that you can't work out why the scene is kind of not as exciting as it had been in your head like giving a character a little bit more investment in it or just doubling down on what they feel about it like make giving that the the the, the narrative over to that a bit more can sometimes lift the scene and i think that's what we're kind of uh, alighted on here